New York, all New York sports would love them very much. Thank you, uh, LA Laura 38 for the tip of 20 tickets. Uh, welcome to the 63rd episode of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Join Levine, Alex Savage, Coach back again. Also, this is the second night in a row of On New York Sports Network at 7.30. The four line is coming back on after we went on last night. Last night was me, Nick Santola, and podcast host CJ Pala, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And then uh, tonight, it's Brendan Gallego and CJ Pukala talking again. So we have a lot to talk about. This is why I said let's go on Sportscaster, other than the fact that uh, On New York Sports Network is launching. Uh, a lot to talk about. We were originally going to do the bi-week breakdown, and I got his name right. That's that's great. Uh, bi-week breakdown, we have three new positive COVID cases and the Mark Colombo incident, and there's definitely more. Uh, I put in the chat earlier about what happened, and I think his name is Michael Snyder, who started reporting on it, so that's going to be interesting. Um, seems like a lot of drama uh filtered out through that situation jordan how are you doing and what do you think of that whole situation yeah i mean uh first of all i'm doing great uh second of all definitely not uh the typical relaxing bye week uh honestly it's not so encouraging obviously the necessary changes were made but uh you don't love to see it uh straight in the bye week when you're trying to kind of inject yourself back into the playoff race the whole Colombo situation is what I'm referring to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you, Nick, for joining the uh, the broadcast. So, uh, Nick. Just, to quickly, just to quickly brief it out, uh, Matt Pear, the rookie tackle out of UConn, Caden uh, Smith, the tight end, the second-year guy out of Stanford, who we picked up off the waiver wire last year, and also uh, wide receiver Don Pettis, who we picked up also on the against the 49ers, uh, or I should say from the 49ers last year. Uh, he's both all those players are now on the COVID list. They are unlikely to play against the Bengals. In my opinion, the first two are especially a big loss, the third one also as well. But that also gives you room to activate and put three new guys on the active roster. Also, to note that uh, we don't know if Casey Kreider or the punter Riley Dixon tested positive, we know Gano did, so he has a higher chance of coming back for um the Bengals game and then also we have to see with Kreider and Dixon hopefully they could come back but also we have Ryan Santoso on the active roster who's a kicker and a punter but the last time that worked out for any team it was really uh the Jets with Kari Vedvik and that didn't go out well um and also you could bring up any wide receiver off the practice squad Benjamin Victor you could also bring up uh Corey Coleman as well and for tight ends, Rice and John and Alex uh, Wietting, I think his Nate Wietting, actually, he's a undrafted tight end out of Iowa. So what do you think of uh, those losses for the Giants and how much of a role do they play? And especially for the fact now that we have a new offensive line coach and Matt Parrott's going to be missing another week. I mean, so if you're looking at all three of those guys, the only guy who really brings much value there is Parrott. Uh, he was kind of like rotating in and out at both tackle positions, mainly left tackle, kind of a, a timeshare split thing, uh, heavily favored towards Andrew Thomas's side. Um, I honestly feel that he's played better than Thomas, but uh, it's, it's not the biggest deal for one week to be missing a backup tackle. Um, the other two, Dante Pettis, I really liked him uh, in college. Second round pick, obviously a lot of talent. Um, but this, this kind of setback just kind of shows you that the likelihood of him being prominent in the offense this year isn't too likely anymore at this point. And then lastly with Caden Smith, he's more of just the 
simple tight end. I mean, he's never going to be the focal point of the offense. He's never going to be the main tight end as long as you got Evan Ingram on the team. So listen, it could be worse. There could be worse guys to, to have not on the field next Sunday, but uh, I mean, you never want to have three guys get COVID on your team, especially because you never know what's going to happen with the aftermath. Who's going to get it next. Does anyone have it? Yeah. Honestly, Gano might be the, Gano might be the, he might be like the main, the biggest loss because he likely won't be able to play next week as well. And he's just been great. Yeah, he I yeah. Think it's like 79 points he counts for the season, gets an extension, and then gets COVID, which is really a pain in the ass, uh, especially for him being, what, 30-some-odd years old. And he's, he's going to get us an extension. He obviously got an extension, and he's getting signed until he's like 36, 37 years old. So um, for those of you that have yeah. not been I would say, active on Twitter in the, uh, I would say, last two to three hours, uh, new reports came out, uh, according to Michael Silver. And this is a long one, so uh, – I'm going to try to read it as quick as possible. So uh, this is from Michael Silver. As Kim Jones reported, uh, the incident that led to the abrupt firing of Giants offensive line coach Mark Colombo did not involve Colombo calling uh, Joe Judge a dirty name. However, tensions began weeks earlier after an incident on the practice field. According to a witness, Judge corrected the technique of center Nick Gates during a practice several weeks ago, and Colombo disagreed with the connection. Judge reacted angrily, and from that point on, it was a very frosty situation towards the offensive line coach. Ultimately, Joe Judge brought in Dave DeGuelmo, if I'm pronouncing that right. I think it's DeGuelmo or whatever. The Giants line had struggled early in the season, especially Andrew Thomas, the rookie. But things began to improve, and the unit performed well during the two-game winning streak. Colombo was popular among the offensive line players, and they were in a good zone. Judge's decision to help bring in DeGuelmo to help Colombo flew in the face of that, and the offensive line were rather confused. Tensions escalated, and when Judge began ripping Thomas in a film session, Colombo stepped in to defend the left tackle and ultimately swore at Joe Judge. Obviously, Joe Judge is head coach and free to fire who he pleases, but his personality style has been off-putting to some. The former Patriots assistant and some of those who came from him, some of those who came with him from New England have executed an alarming aura of haughtiness and making that case the Patriots system is supreme judge and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to read the rest of it because it seems like it's just talking about how he was in New England. Um, but I'm going to make the point, and obviously I stated most of it. Listen, you may not agree with that what the head coach is doing, but how are you? who are you to curse at him? First of all, I don't agree at all. I guess Colombo has got this huge ego from what we're seeing. And people are saying on Twitter, oh, is Colombo behind that uh, mysterious Michael Silver report? We don't know because I'm not going to – and also I'm not going to assume. But who are you to swear at the head coach, one who's trying to turn his entire team around? You're obviously not pulling your weight as an offensive line coach because that is the current weakness of this team. It's formulating as in less of a weakness because it's growing every week. Joe Judge to be the formulator of that. I had no idea about bringing uh, Dave Goyelmo or whatever his name is in googs coach de googs or whatever they call him and you know listen going back to uh what people were saying earlier about uh coach googs and saying like that uh saying that you know that incident in indianapolis which i'll get into in about a minute or so um which is really messed up by the way but man has an established resume and i guess colombo didn't want him looking over uh, his shoulder and telling him what to do. But again, who are you that ego? You've been an offensive line coach for what, three years? 
uh, Dave D has been an offensive line coach since 1995, I think. So what, what ego do you have to do that? Um, yeah, I mean, I have a couple, couple things to say on the matter. Um, first, starting with, uh, if you read the Kim Jones report, the main bottom line, she kind of made it seem like uh, the offensive linemen almost were on Colombo's side, despite how bad they've played when the, the unit was fully under his command, right? So the past two weeks prior, the Giants have been playing well. They beat the Eagles. Um, they beat the Redskins. They're looking good. Daniel Jones throws no interceptions. And part of that is because for the most part, he had a pretty p- clean pocket. Would you agree? Yeah. That's a main, one of the main parts in uh, his continued success over the past two weeks. And uh, if you read reports when Colombo got fired, Joe Judge actually and uh, Dick Welmo or however you pronounce the new offensive, co- offensive line coach's name, uh, they were both – he was giving input to Judge. Judge was feeding it to the offensive line, and that's why they played better. Um, so first of all, I just want to say that I'm always going to ride with Joe judge. It does not matter what the media reports. Um, he's just been great for this team. He turned the defense around. He's building a a, a culture that you want to be proud of, like he says. So that's the first thing I want to say. Second thing goes back to, again, how we're discussing how the linemen might be on the side of Colombo. Um, what I have to think about that is what I have to say about that is that, listen, this is a very young team. Everyone on the team is young. We're not just talking about the offensive line. We're talking about everyone. So with the exception of Kevin Zeitler, there are not too many old guys on that line. Everyone might be under the age of 25, 26 there. So if you, through eight weeks of football, win or lose, if you're under the command of one coach, these young guys are going to look up to him, and they're not going to know if he's telling them the right things or the wrong things. So that might be the reason why these guys are kind of feeling – frustrated or confused as to why Colombo got fired. But I just have, I, I have to believe that he, if Colombo was fired, it means that he did something wrong. The Giants aren't type of organization to fire. Uh, I've heard this like in the media and, you know, I would say it's true, but Mark Colombo has been an offensive line coach for the past three years. And he took over for Paul Alexander. And I'm going to bring up Paul Alexander in a second because he plays a major, I would say role in the criticism of Mark Colombo. Though the two worked with each other, Colombo, um, going back to your point of the young offensive linemen, you know, they see him as one of their own because he used to be an offensive lineman. He played in the league. The Guamo didn't. And uh, when I'm going back to Paul Alexander, Paul Alexander was fired midseason in the Cow- from the Cowboys in, I believe, 2018. I think so. Yeah, 2018. I think he was an assistant in 2017. I'm not that sure. But um, you saw at some point in the season – Paul Alexander, who's an accomplished offensive line coach, he studied Andrew Thomas's film and pointed out many things that um, his transition from Georgia in the technique he had there and the good technique he took there. And then he pretty much, you know, didn't mold it into his NFL style. And Paul Alexander was like, well, why isn't he transitioning like he – you know, should be the fourth overall pick. Because you look at the other tackles, you look at Makai Beckton, uh, Tristan Works, and you take a look at, uh, what's the other one, Jedrick Wills. They're all performing great so far, or at least decent enough. And, you know, I guess there, Alexander started taking shots at his assistant, saying he's teaching him the wrong things. One of the things is that, that Thomas, his right leg or his left leg was lifting up when he was originally 
uh, going in his stance or whatever. I forget, you know, the specifics because I'm not an offensive lineman. But you just see there, I guess he wasn't pulling his strings, Colombo. And again, to probably finish this off, you know, I don't know how you go up there to talk to uh, Joe Judge like that and just swear at him. And then, you know, this could pose something for Jason Garrett as well because a lot of systems have offensive line coaches that work well with offensive coordinators. One of the reasons that Bill Callahan was not hired as the offensive line coach for the Giants is because he did not get along with Jason Garrett in his time in Dallas. A lot of Giants fans wanted Callahan. I did too as well. But then when he went to Cleveland, I said, you know what? Let's hire Mark Colombo to Guamo. I really don't care which. But I'm going to bring up one more situation, and then I'll let you have a little bit of a say as well. So basically what happened with uh, the Indianapolis thing, listen, they had a phenomenal offensive line. Braden Smith, Quentin Nelson coming in the league as first-year players. Uh, you also had Anthony Costanzo, the uh, veteran tackle. Good offensive line, probably the best in 2018. And, you know, obviously he was the genius of that, and also he took over for uh, Dante Sarnecchia when he retired in New England. But uh, – Going back to what I was talking about with Denzel Good is what happened was Good was a, I would say, veteran tackle, and he was also, uh, I would say, a reserve tackle. And one week, I think his brother was murdered, and he had to go down uh, to where his family lived. I don't know where. And Duguamo was pissed at him. He said, you know, you should really play through these things, and you should get over it, and that, you know, I'm not going to play you on the offensive line for all the time that I'm here and the time that you're here. So he requested his release. That sounds like an asshole-ish, scumbag-ish move by Duomo. Uh, he doesn't perceive to be a nice guy. But let's see here and see what he does. I'm open. I have an open mind. And, uh, you know, Joe Judge is not a nice guy. I wouldn't expect Duomo to be. And hopefully he does his job. And he has an established resume to go along with that. Listen, I mean, I'm going to – I guess we'll close it up, this, this segment, with this. I mean – I'm going to I'm going to go as far as to say it as like this. The way things broke down and the way they ended, we'll never really know exactly what happened. We'll never know what Colombo called Judge, we'll never know what Judge called Colombo, we'll never know exactly what happened because it's private matter. Regard despite what the media reports, we'll never actually know. I will say this though. In many instances where a controversial coach firing happens, you're not going to see the result and basically get to actually give the coach a fair ruling on if he was good or bad. Like, let's say, for example, you look at when the Raptors finished uh, one of the higher seeds in the East and they fired Dwayne Casey after he won coach of the year because they were disappointed with him, but then they signed Kawhi and they win a championship. So you can't really blame Dwayne Casey and say it was his fault because they added Kawhi, right? Well, that's not the same as this scenario. Why? Because you had the same personnel on the same offensive line. Plus, all, this, all the guys on this offensive line are young. So if now all of a sudden this new guy comes in and Andrew Thomas starts playing well because he's so young and he's still, you can still develop him, within the next six weeks, if you see Andrew Thomas playing well, you're going to know that it was Mark Colombo's fault. So that's the only nice thing about this situation, really. So I'll, I'll close it with that, I guess. Well, definitely no. Just give me one second and we'll uh, get to the next yeah. topic. Excuse me. Yeah. No problem. No problem. This is the uh, the all interruption podcast here. So uh, yeah. shoot me some questions in the comments if you want while uh, AGP is taking care of his, his stuff. CJ, you still on here, bro? 
called a podcast for Big Blue Interruption. Yeah, for real. That's like what we should call it. Yes, oh, sir. Man. CJ's still here. Yeah. All right, CJ, uh, faithful he's man. He's a trooper. Faith, faithful man. Yes. Trooper. All right, let me see what's next on the list. Uh, into the bye week. Actually, you know what? Before we go to the bye week breakdown, I want to break down uh, some of the, uh, I would say, places Dave DeGuamo has made as stops on his list. So from 91 to 92, he was a graduate assistant at Boston College. He was born in Massachusetts, so that makes a lot of sense. Assistant head coach and offensive line coach for three years at Boston University, then went on to be the offensive line coach at Connecticut for two years, uh, four years, five seasons, four, five seasons as the uh, South Carolina offensive line coach, then worked under Tom Coughlin as an assistant offensive line and quality control coach from 2004. Yeah, I think I knew, I think I knew that actually. Yeah. Yeah. Was the, uh, and he was actually, I'll make the connection to Pat Flaherty in about two minutes, or at least when I'm done reading this, uh, Made his first stop in Miami from 2009 to 2011 as the offensive line coach. Went on to the Jets uh, to be their offensive line coach in 2012. And then he was an analyst for a radio station or something in 2013, 2014, 2015. He took over for Dante Sarnecki as the offensive line coach for the New England Patriots. Uh, 2016, he was the Chargers assistant offensive line coach. 2017, he made his second stop in Miami as their offensive line coach. Moved on to be, to the Indianapolis Colts to be their offensive line coach and to be that, that, that actually, that was where I was most impressed with him because that offensive line till this day is ferocious led by left guard, uh, Quentin Nelson, who went, I think he was a top five pick or six pick actually in the, uh, Sam Darnold, Saquon Barkley draft. But, um, yeah, that offensive line is ferocious. So that was one of the main reasons that and having worked under Coughlin at some point were two of the main reasons why I was like, I'm cool with them firing Colombo for this guy. Yeah. Uh, 2019, he came back for the third time in Miami. 2019 is their offensive line coach. And 2020, obviously, the offensive line coach of the Giants now. So the connection with Pat Flaherty, I'll make it. So Pat Flaherty, um, he was the main offensive line coach from the Giants from, I believe, 2004 to 2015. What mainly got him fired was the fact that he was not getting along with Eric Flowers. I'm pretty sure that a lot of people wouldn't get along with Eric Flowers knowing how disastrous he was. Nah, that guy was a shit show. Yeah. (laughs) So he got fired 2015. I think he went to Jacksonville, or maybe he went somewhere else. Then in 2019, they hired him as a part of Pat. uh, They hired him as a part of Brian Flores' new staff, staff. But they couldn't. He couldn't implement their blocking systems, so they fired him and they put in Duguelmo. Which you know, it's funny because he was the main offensive line coach and the assistant was Duguelmo. So uh, just a little connection there. Uh, some takeaways from obviously uh, his time, and a lot of people ripped him for that offensive for the offensive line that he did coach in 2019. I'll bring that up in a second because a lot of people are irrelevant with that. Uh, so here's some Football Outsiders rankings. In 2018 with the Colts, they were fourth in run blocking, second in pass protection. 2017 uh, with the Miami, he was 30th in run. His offensive line was 30th in run blocking, 11th in pass protection. 2015 with New England, second in run blocking, 18th in pass protection. 24, uh, 2014, fifth in run blocking, second in pass blocking. 2012 with the Jets, fifth in run blocking, 30th in pass blocking. I could not find the stats to the 2019 Miami Dolphins. But everyone was ripping him for all oh, uh, Miami Dolphins. All oh, the offensive line was terrible. Well, let me explain something to you. What talent did he have on that offensive line? 
I'm pretty sure he has better talent now than he did last year. Look at this offensive line. Julian Davenport, a bad pick from the Houston Texans. Michael Deiter, a rookie. Daniel Kilgore, uh, a veteran center that's been all over the place. He did make the Pro Bowl at one point, I believe. Jack Calhoun, I think he's a vet or actually may have been a rookie. They trade away Tunsil. Laramie Tunsil was back in 2017. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was Sorry, the year before, before, yeah. uh, are you sure it wasn't yeah, 2018? Was and then from, I'm pretty sure. Because um, that was the Stills the trade, right? When Tunsil was traded. When Tunsil was traded, that wasn't 2018. I'm pretty sure that was before. Let me let me look that up. I'm pretty sure that was before. That was the, the that was that the Kenny Stills and multiple picks tra- trade. Uh, trade. I'm pretty sure huh. that took place in like March or some early part of 2019. I'm gonna take a look right now. Let's yeah, see. either way. Um. August 31st, 2019. So that was about maybe two weeks, week before, uh, you know, the the opening day. So they had to put uh, Julian Davenport in there. And then compared to their offensive line in 2017, which is better, even though Adam Gase was the coach, uh, Laramie Tunzel, Ted Larson, Mike Pouncey, German Bushrod, and Juwan James. So I would say – Yeah, Juwan James was a star that year. Juwan James was actually a star that year. And then he signed a big free yeah, agent contract. Um, yeah, yeah. And then suppo- he was actually on the Giants' radar for a little while. That that. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was what uh, twenty nineteen. He was, and then he yeah, signed going with the Dolphins, and then they yeah. uh, pretty much gave up on that situation. Yeah, I think they wanted Daryl Williams uh, after that. He signed with the Panthers. Ca- again. Yeah, in Carolina, right? And then they decided to take Mike Remmers, which wasn't ultimately bad. A lot of people think that's you know super bad, but I think he's better than Cam Fleming. Uh, pros established resume. He's been with the New York Giants. Uh, he was a part of that offensive line in Indianapolis. The cons, uh, Denzel, good situation, and uh, the offensive line might not take him. Uh, I don't know as they would Colombo because he's not one of them, and he's kind of an asshole. Going back to his past with Denzel, good, but again. Players like Colombo, but let's see. I think they'll move on uh, knowing that they trust Joe Judge. This team is moving in the right direction. And they had to see something in their own mind when they said, okay, Joe Judge is helping us for these last two weeks, and that's why we're winning. I mean, if you look at the sacks, and people will say, oh, uh, the Giants gave up five sacks against the uh, Washington football team. Well, one was a flea flicker that didn't work out. And then some of them were coverage sacks. And, and you know, I get it. Shane Lemieux has struggled, and a lot of people blame uh, Will I mean, Hernandez, all oh, Will Hernandez, you know, the last two weeks, uh, he wasn't in the offensive line, so that's why they're producing better. Well, and not, not to Hernandez mention is- that that, yeah, not to mention that that Washington defensive front is five first round picks. Exactly. All so still pretty young, at. other than Ryan Kerrigan as well. So, I mean, it's, it's nothing, nothing to be that ashamed of, especially, yeah. you know, they got the win. The whole so. story, people. Um, yeah. So that's pretty much that. Uh, let's go into defensive success. So I was originally going to add up um, up to 10 weeks, which actually uh, make a connection to back to last season. We played 10 games before our bye last season. Same thing this season, but obviously we are a better team this season. Uh, we were ranked in the low 20s last season at this time. Uh, at this time, this year, Giants are 11th in points, uh, 7th in rushing yards, 23rd in passing yards and 15th in total uh, yards per game, which is pretty good. And obviously everybody sees it around this league that Patrick Graham is something, and people are scared, in my opinion. I'm not scared. 
uh, that Patrick Graham is going to get picked off by someone else to be a head coach. I don't think he is because if you're taking a defensive coordinator for one year that's been worked out, and I just think that's really irresponsible in my opinion because everybody was fantasizing about Robert Saleh last season. But it is glorious, I would say, in a Giants perspective, what he's done this season. You know, He's been trying to hide that second corner spot for the longest time. He's been doing all this safety stuff. And he's formulated a pass rush, even though they don't have a number one pass rusher. He's formulated a pass rush that's tied with the Ravens seventh in the league. I believe it's like 22 or 28 sacks on the season. We're on pace to get at least 40 on the season, which we haven't had in a long time. So this defense is really coming back and he's really, really uh, using and utilizing the offensive lineman and Blake Martinez really well. As you see, like when we're talking about Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl voting is up, by the way. James Bradbury, defense. Blake Martinez, defense, Dexter Lawrence, defense, Leonard Williams, defense. He's made them look, you know, very well. And, again, we don't have a number one pass rusher. Leonard Williams leads with five sacks, but still. I mean, well, that was actually perfect, the way that you ended with that, because about Leonard Williams being the sack leader with five sacks, because it's going to lead right into what I was about to say about why I think this defense, and you know exactly what I'm going to say also. That's why I see you smiling, but uh, why I think this defense has played so well. And it's clearly to me because of the style of play and the New England, as Paul Dottino would say, Belichickian style, uh, like he said to us one time a couple months back. Yeah. Um, he predicted it. I wrote about it before we did that, and I'm just happy that it was so predictable and that it actually turned out. It was, honestly, you have to credit Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge for making the decision together on what they needed to do. And they, they did that, that style. For those of you in uh, of the viewers who don't know, the Belichickian style defense is sack by committee and you build it from the back to the front, meaning you need a marquee cornerback, good safeties who can, who can blitz and middle linebackers who are kind of all over the place and, and can make, can stop the ball everywhere. And that's exactly what the Giants did. If you look, who's their highest pay, paid player on defense? Gettleman goes out and he gets James Bradbury for a three-year, $45 million deal. He is – I believe he's the, the highest paid on the defense. Am I, is, that, is that correct? Yes, I think. I would have to do the math. I think second would be – I think second would be Williams. Williams' franchise tag is, is, is $14 million a year. Yeah, no, he's three years 30. Yeah. That was what I was going to say next. So you build a rookie contract yeah. except for Williams. Right, exactly, because it's such a young team. But you build it from the back to the front, and that's exactly what they're doing with Bradbury and Martinez. And those two guys alone have really made all the difference, as well as the stepping, the stepped-up play from Leonard Williams. So Dave Gettleman's moves on that defense are starting to shape up and look really, really, really good, especially if they can add a guy like Micah Parsons or, or maybe even Gregory Rousseau from Miami. I don't know if I pronounced his name right either, but uh, if they can add another defensive piece, this team can really be a top five defense in the coming years, in my opinion. And it's due to the style that they're playing. Cause if you look, I think every guy on the defensive line has, has earned at least one sack this year. doesn't matter who it is. It's a sack by committee. And I think if you look at the giants as a team, as a whole, they're, they're not in the bottom half of the league in sacks. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, if not, it's yeah, exactly. But we don't have anyone who has more than five sacks and that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of the Belichickian style to me. So that's the main reason why they've been so good, in my opinion. And to pick apart, like, a lot of people were questionable about hiring Patrick Graham uh, because, oh, uh, you know, the defense in Miami wasn't that good. Well, well, first of all, they didn't really have, like, I think the number one corner was Xavier Howard. 
listen, I'm not taking away from him, but he's like he's not Stefan Gilmore, he's not James Bradbury type. I would say James Bradbury is good, man. James Bradbury is fucking good, man. That's that's the difference between what we're doing and what he did in Miami. He didn't have like the greatest amount of proven talent because the Dolphins were like top five or even top three in rookie snaps played. They had Nick Needham. They had a bunch of corners. They had a bunch of rookie players on that defense, kind of like what we he, right. what we had last year. But you know, Patrick and by the Patrick, way, by the way, look at that defense now. Look at that Miami defense now. I mean, they added two. Uh, I would say key players in Van Byron Jones. Jones. By- Byron Jones. Yes, but I'm I'm saying it's it's the way the system works. You need to add a guy. They're doing the same system. Flores is a Belichick guy as well. Yeah. So I'm saying you can't give Patrick Graham the slack if he doesn't have all the necessary pieces. No, absolutely. I mean, you can't, you can't, uh, yeah. Like, like like that defense, all they had to do is add the middle linebacker and the cornerback, just as we did, and you propel yourself into a top 15 defense with this, with this system. And so that's why I don't go ahead and hate on Graham. Sorry to interrupt you again. It's all right. If you look at the 2019 uh, Patriots defense, Stephon Gilmore's number one corner. And you take a look, and who's leading the sacks? Jamie Collins, who had – I think he was outside linebacker. Seven sacks. That's not a lot. And they – not to mention they gave up Trey Flowers in free agency to the Detroit Lions. Right. So he obviously – meaning Belichick knew what he was doing. And I think his son is actually calling plays now. His son actually has been calling plays now for like two years, but Belichick hasn't really said much about it. But Steve Belichick, first of all, looks to be a very promising young coach. He might have a good career. Who knows? The name might get him get him the opportunity. But, uh, yeah, I was going to say about the Trey Flowers thing, um, Belichick certainly knew what he was doing. They, they don't need that marquee pass rusher, and Belichick knew that Matt Patricia really liked Trey Flowers from his time in uh, New England. And that's that's why they traded him. Matt Patricia's what? what what's the record now? Four and six? Four and five? Yeah, he's, he's certainly on the hot seat now. Yeah, they, they better make a playoff spot or do something because I'm, yeah. not, I'm not too convinced. And I don't know how Akuda's playing, so I would have to research yeah. that myself. Uh, let's go on to Daniel Jones. Uh, let's see. How many fumbles? I believe he has eight fumbles this season. I just want to do the math real quick. Um, let's see. One. There we go. I, gotta, I didn't print it out, so I got to actually look at the screen. Three, four. By the way, I, if you if you're wondering why I keep looking at my phone, it's because uh, NBA free agency officially started five minutes ago. Yeah. And so I'm looking out. I'm that. looking out for those Woj bombs. I know some of the guys yeah. in the comments are as well. So Daniel Jones has eight fumbles on the season, though the last two games he has not given it over. Uh, the Philly game he gave it over. The Washington game, uh, I don't think. Well, he gave it over an interception. He's thrown nine picks and fumbled how many, I think, eight times. So, technically, that if you were to take that and say, oh, he uh, lost those fumbles, that would be 17 turnovers. It's not. Uh, he lost it against the Chicago Bears. Um, let's see. I can't really read from it. I should have printed it out. But, anyway, uh, he's had a very, I would say, good lap. I got to sneeze in a second. So. No worries. Oh, Jesus. I, I, I've been keeping track, bro. You, you might you might want to go get yourself uh, tested. I think that's number two of this stream. <laughs> I'm just messing. All right. Um, 
So obviously his record is going to be better, in my opinion, as a quarterback. But uh, let's see. He had 12 interceptions last year. He has nine so far this year. Uh, we all know the first four weeks were absolute hell. And obviously, you know, the the fumble against the Eagles and then obviously the interceptions against the Bucks. Obviously, everybody was rambling about that. But, uh, again, last two games is something you really got to point at, even though people say, oh, he didn't throw a touchdown against uh, the Eagles. Look at some of the big-time plays he made. You know, the stat sheet's not going to tell you that. It's going to say 38 yards. Yeah, you know how you would th- uh, get 38 yards sometimes? By yards after catch. And I'm pretty sure Golden Tate's not been doing that se- this season. He had a 38-yard catch. Like, he actually took it down and made the catch. Pretty good throw. Uh, Darius Slayton on the last, I think it was four minutes of the game, made a toe tap, you know, uh, over the shoulder. Threw it. He threw it. Out. Nah, it, it wasn't really. It was almost a back shoulder that was underthrown. It was back shoulder. But yeah. it was a good throw. It, it seemed the, like he purposely did it. Yeah, you had the one to Sterling Shepard, and you had the one to uh, Deion Lewis early on. So, yep. again, he's improving by the stats. Uh, let's see what else. Compared to his 2019, obviously he turned over the ball um, or fumbled it 18 times. I think he gave it away 11 times. Uh, let's see. His completion I mean, percentage, I think, is up. But let me look at – I have it uh, side-by-side comparison. Uh, his quarterback rate, his QBR is actually up. Uh, his completion percentage is up. His yards are probably going to go up. But then again, I can't make too sure of that. Uh, obviously, his touchdowns are going to be down, but we'll see over the next six games. Interception percentage, uh, it's up by one point. Uh, touchdown percentage, it's down by, I would say, almost three points. Again, that's just analytics, but still, uh, his longest is a 50-yard pass. And obviously, he's been running the ball a lot more this season, uh, going back to the game uh, against Philly and all the games he's had this season. That's what I like, that, you know, if you can't find a way to include Jones in the uh, passing game or he's not doing something, he's running the football. So he's, you know, producing. It's not like he's just doing squat. Okay, so I know Nick's in here, so I'm going to have to watch myself uh, in case his head doesn't explode over there while he's watching because we argue about Daniel Jones a ton, uh, Nick and I. Um, Here's my thing on Daniel Jones. Do I think he has a bright future? Yes, if he stops with the turnovers. So far, it kind of it looks like the offensive line has a lot to do with, with those turnovers, which is happy, which, means, which makes me happy because I was wrong, and that means that we might have a guy who's uh, who's really made for this. But again, I do have to admit, Daniel Jones is the type of quarterback that might lose you a game, but he's never going to win you a game, in my opinion. He might make a play down the line that wins you a game, but he's never, like you said, he's never going to be the guy with sexy stats, just as Eli Manning was. Eli Manning was never a sexy stats guy, never was. The only reason he's high on the yards and touchdowns list is because he played for so long and so consistently every game. But if you if Eli Manning played an eight-year career, he would not have good stats. Daniel Jones is the same way, in my opinion. He's, he's, he's just like – he's so similar to Eli. It's scary. He's, he's Eli with wheels, in my opinion. And it's, yeah, he's, he's going to be a very – he's going to be – believe me, this is not the end of it for Daniel Jones. He's not going to just all of a sudden magically start playing well every game and, and everyone's going to love him. Everyone might love him in the future, but he'll always be under the microscope. That's New York. That's the market he's in. And if you're not a Patrick Mahomes guy, they're not gonna love. They're not gonna love you like that. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you win two Super Bowls. He'll always be under the microscope, microscope because he's in New York, and that's just that's just that's just a fact, in my opinion. And and again, 
the Giants aren't don't want him to be a Patrick Mahomes. They don't need him to be that do-it-all guy. They need him to come out week in, week out, and play consistent and do his job. That's all they need him to do. He's not the focal point of the offense, in my opinion. He, they're, they're not trying to build it like that. I think they're still committed to, to having this offense revolve around the run game. But, yes, I mean, that's just my take. And there's two things I want to bring up. Obviously, you put the point around that Daniel Jones is not going to be that guy that lifts and carries it. And obviously, I think at this point, that's what the Giants have to accept, and that's what the Giants are okay with. You know, yes. Well, I um, think they knew that when they drafted him. I think they knew that when they, yeah. when they drafted him. They knew that, that Eli wasn't that guy. And I think they took him partly because he was very similar to Eli. Sure, he had all the makings. He had all the dimensions. He's a smart kid. He's a nice kid. He fits the class of the organization. But I, come on, to believe that they didn't see some Eli in him and were, like, turned on by that, that's just – that clearly is what happened. So I think they knew that. The same guy. Yeah, exactly. Literally, David Cutcliffe product. Um, so like, exactly. and also Daniel. Daniel used to he used to play with Eli in the summers at the at the Manning QB camps and, and stuff like that. There's clearly similarities there, besides for obviously the athleticism that Jones has, which is if he has the same clutch drive that Eli does, he could end up. You never know what he could end up being, but. But they clearly did see some Eli in him, and I don't think they ever drafted him anticipating that he would be a Mahomes or a, or a Deshaun Watson or a, a playmaker like that or someone that, that wins you games alone. Um, I think they knew that, and that's why it's going to be easy for them because they're never going to have to accept anything. And that's why uh, giant, a lot of giant – obviously, you're going to get all these uh, fandoms when it comes draft time. Uh, because I want Trevor Lawrence, let's just say, you know, Daniel Jones, like the last game he plays that way, probably through the rest of the season with some turnovers, but you, you're you certified that he's an Eli. A lot of Giant fans have this mentality, oh, let's go get an upgraded quarterback. Listen, I'm not, I've never doubted Trevor Lawrence's talent, but we're not in that situation where we have to put quarterback first, let's just say everything no. goes out, and then address the other needs. No, wide receiver, uh, cornerback two, linebacker two, and maybe an additional pass rusher. I don't really know any needs from there, honestly. You take those, I mean, maybe a depth tight end. That you to me, yeah, I agree. I, I agree with you, and, and I'll keep, uh, I'll keep saying it. I don't know if my screen's frozen for you; it's frozen for me. But whatever, I'll just keep talking. I can hear you. Um, for me, the Giants would be have to be crazy to look at a quarterback in this draft. Why would? Why would they look at a quarterback? I'm sorry. I'm just looking at what someone's writing in the comments. Um, why would they draft the quarterback if they are that bad that they end up losing and, and they're worse than the Jets going in and they get the first pick? Then they should take a quarterback because that means something went awfully wrong with Daniel Jones, in my opinion. They're not going to – the odds of them losing a bunch of close games where he plays well and getting the first pick is just – is not likely. Yeah, and they need to win, what, three games to get in the playoffs, and they need exactly. other odds to play out for them because you need, you need to win. Right, right. My it's not most, even about the – And I'm going to go over this. Sorry, it's not even about the playoffs for me. It's I'm more about – sorry. It's more. It's not even about the playoffs for me. It's more about not losing, not losing the amount of games to put yourself in the position where you can get Lawrence. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Listen, if they lose a couple games, they lose a couple games, they don't make the playoffs. But if they end up going three and, and 13 or whatever it is and, and being the worst team in the league, then they should draft Lawrence. But if they're picking two or three or four or five, wherever they're picking, no quarterback. There's no reason. 
Exactly. Trade down. Take Parsons. Exactly. Take take Sewell. Take uh, trade back to to ten fifteen. Take a Farley or a certain. You know, like. And again, the, the only need they really do have, the only need they really do have, like you said, like I could see them taking maybe another middle linebacker. Probably the most gaping like need that you'd see right away is probably cornerback two. Maybe uh, another receiver, but I, I have a feeling they're going to go after that in free agent. There are a couple young guys um, in the free agency this coming season. Uh, Kenny Galladay is my favorite target for them. Um, you saw some some trade reports near the deadline, but uh, I think I think I think he he'd he'd be uh yeah oh yeah could be Allen Robinson as well. But I I like Kenny Galladay. I like his size. I like how he can go up and. He's a red zone target. I like how he will take a lot of attention off Darius Slayton. I think Darius Slayton could be one of the league's premier wide receiver twos. I don't think he's a wide receiver one. I think he could be one of the league's premier wide receiver twos, though. Yeah. All right, so our next topic is managing without Saquon. And I think the Giants have really done this very well. And they've been managing it without Devonta Freeman, too. So uh, let's see. The first game, obviously, I'm going to go this game by game. I believe now before I get to game by game, I believe the Giants with running backs, I think it was either with Saquon, actually no, it was without Saquon. Um, because I'm pretty sure Saquon didn't get how many rushing yards. But I think from a certain week span without Saquon with running backs they had fifty five rushing yards per game. But you add in the quarterbacks, you add in the recent production, you Apologies. get over hundred and thirty, hundred and ten, hundred and fifty, and that's where you're at. So I'm going to do game by game here. So obviously in week one, Daniel Jones led the carries. Uh, well, didn't lead the carries. He led the yards. Four rushes, 22 yards. Saquon, five, uh, 15 rushes, six yards. Saqu- and then the next week, Saquon tears his, uh, his Achilles. I, I get I, Honestly, I have his uh, – this is dumb. ACL. I, I get Achilles and ACL mixed up, honestly. I don't know how. I just do <laughs> So Saquon well, ACL is very uh, fixable. Achilles is a big question mark on a player's career. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Jones, three carries, 21 yards. And most of these carries for Daniel Jones in the first couple of weeks were just escaping the pocket. These are not designed runs. Daniel yeah. They, they, they more opened runs. up the design run, the whole design yeah. run scheme, like in the past couple of weeks, ever since that, actually that first Philly game where he broke off for uh, that, that embarrassing, embarrassing stumble. Um, but, uh, yeah, since then, they've been using it. It's been working. I, I'm just waiting for teams to kind of catch on. But that's uh, the, that, that credits Super- Daniel Jones, actually. His his ball work, like, he, he's incredible with those read options. Like, he is so good on those fakes and boots. Really good. Got to commend him for that. And then uh, Sterling Shepard won uh, rush for six yards. That's against the Bears. And then you go against the 49ers. Um, we played horrible that week. I did not even enjoy the uh, the week there, and uh, I'll save I'll save my thoughts for later. But Daniel Jones five carries, forty nine yards. Devonta Freeman five carries for ten yards. Wayne Gallman four carries for seven, and then Deion Lewis uh, one carry, no yards. So I, I think just from here, like maybe squeeze time a little bit. I'm just gonna read the amount of uh, rushing yards and stuff like that in the lead carrier. So Daniel Jones and Wayne Gallman week five. Uh, I think it's week five at least, or maybe might be week. Uh, that's week four, actually. So the Giants actually had 136 ground yards. Wayne Gallman and Daniel Jones had six carries for 45 yards, and Devonta Freeman had 11 carries for 33 yards. Obviously, you have C.J. Bridge's right. uh, 
in the round, and you also had Deion Lewis's uh, Deion Lewis's uh, one rush. Then you go against Dallas, 89, rushing yards, 27 carries. Devonta Freeman leading the pack with 60 yards and 17 carries. Wayne Gallman also mixing in there uh, with five carries, 24 yards. Then the next week, we had 132 yards on the ground. Daniel Jones was the lead carrier again, seven rushes, 74 yards. That big 49-yard run, Devonta Freeman, 18 rushes, 461 yards. Then you go to the next week, Daniel Jones led in rushing once again, 92 yards, four carries, and then Gallman, 34 uh, uh, rushing yards on 10 carries. That was 160 total yards. Then you go to the next week against uh, – this is, I believe, was against the Buccaneers. Wayne Gallman lead carrier again, but we got over 100 rushing yards against the team – against the league's uh, top rushing defense. And then the next week against the uh, football team, Wayne Gallman and Alfred Morris both had over 60 rushing yards. And then, obviously, you go to this week, or last week, I should say, 64 rushing yards on nine carries for Daniel Jones, including a touchdown. Wayne Gallman, two touchdowns, 53 yards on 18 carries. So, they progressed really nicely. And this is, you know, I'm going to say this again. This is why I really didn't, you know, need think we needed Saquon back in 2018 because we had Wayne Gallman and just fixed the offensive line. It fits. But, obviously, the Giants were in that win-now mode, and they took uh, Saquon Barkley. And my question is, how do you tell Wayne Gallman to take a backseat after this year? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I wanted to say um, apologies. If you hear any screams, uh, my roommates are running some war zone outside, so it's getting a little intense. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, Wayne Gallman, I, I, I don't know if he's – is this a contract year for Wayne Gallman? It might be. I think uh, the final year. Yeah, I, I believe he is. So so he could he could – just walk right out and go sign somewhere and be a feature back there, or at least get the shot to be a feature back. But uh, Wayne Gallman, I mean, after this year, I put him in the same category as a, not same play style, but the same boat as those Carlos Hyde, uh, Duke Johnson, uh, Matt Breda, Tevin Coleman, that style. He can go somewhere and definitely, definitely be a, in Miami. Yeah, he would go, and he would definitely be a big part of uh, of a committee. But I think that he is going to get the chance to be a feature back somewhere. Um, the answer to that, simply for me, is you can't. He'll understand it. Giants fans will understand it because you have a guy like Saquon Barkley. Listen, could it end up being that Barkley gets hurt or he busts, and Gallman goes somewhere else, plays well, and we're kicking ourselves in the ass? Like, why the fuck did we get rid of Gallman? Well, if you look at it right now in this present day and age, you can't you can't say, oh, we want to keep we want to keep Gallman and get rid of Saquon. It's just Saquon's a generational talent. So I think it'll be understood. It'll be a mutual respect on each side. And I don't think it'll be a harsh or a, a sad split. And you're not going to have Devonta Freeman next year. You're not going to have Alfred Morris. Right. I mean, those guys are, you know, you, you can you can find a you can find a. I mean, especially if you get rid of Gallman, you could find a, a top 10 running back in the league in, a, in the fourth, fifth round of the NFL draft. That's that's proven. You look at Kareem Hunt, third round, Kamara, fourth round, guys like that. I mean, who's to say we can't find a decent RB2 in the, in the sixth, seventh round if we if we can find, you know? So, so I'm not worried about anybody leaving. I'm just more hoping that Saquon can come back and, and be back to rookie year form. Hopefully. Hopefully, and I, I just want 
Um, Giants to have one running back where they don't have to rely with St. Cohen on pass protection because, you know, he's never going to be that good. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I mean, Alfred Morris is a pretty good pass protector. He's not so agile or, or, or quick, but he's a big body. Hopefully, I mean, he, he's the type of guy they can keep. So. Yeah. Well, we'll see where he goes after this year because the Giants are not keeping him. But anyway, let's go to Doubt Pro candidate this year. Uh, first, I mean, I think we're going to have the same list. Probably. Uh, <laughs> first stop is Leonard Williams. He already has 16 quarterback hits on the year. Uh, to add up to five sacks, 20 pressures, which is almost matching up to his 2019 year with the Jets and the Giants and could match up to his 2018 year with the Jets where he had 26 pressures. And that's an underrated stat for some people that don't look at that. But we can tell he's been putting pressure on the quarterback, getting the sack, been ultimately phenomenal for this team. Uh, he has about 34 total tackles, so he's been there on the defensive line. Check how many pass deflections he has. or uh, He has none this year, but let's see. How many tackles for a loss? He has seven tackles for a loss. The same he had in 2015, but obviously we have six more games. We are, Basically, we have six more games to go, so we'll see where he goes from there. Uh, overall thoughts on Leonard Williams? I mean, I know what you're going to say. Well, first of all, I have two things. One has to do with Joe Judge, and one has to do with Dave Gettleman. So let's start with Judge, I guess. This is not anything to do with Joe Judge as what he's done. It's more to do with I'm agreeing with what he has said. You can't judge a player based on only statistics, especially a position like defensive line, because something that you don't really see, even if it's QB pressures, you don't see how a guy disrupts a pocket. And that's really what Leonard Williams does every single play. He's He's a pocket disruptor. And that's what kind of enables other guys to get sacked as well as himself. And that's why the Giants have been doing so well. Um, So I wanted to say that. But then to go back to Dave Gettleman, I just wanted to say, uh, listen, I wrote an article about Gettleman last week about how he hasn't made that that many bad moves as as many bad moves as people think, other than maybe the OBJ trade, maybe the the DeAndre Baker trade, even though the OBJ trade gave us gave us Jabril Peppers, who's been awesome. But the main part of what I want to say I is like that, that yeah, so do I. I mean, Odell wanted to win now, and he was being a, a prima donna. Um, obviously, he was a fan favorite, but uh, it was a move necessary to making. Um, but to go back to the Dave Gettleman thing, I mean, everyone just absolutely shat on him. Like, everyone gave him so much shit. You trade away a third and a fifth. You trade away a third and a fifth. This guy was once – he's young. First of all, Leonard Williams is young. I think he's, I think he's the oldest guy in the defense, might be 27 years old. Might be even 26. He's a young guy. He's also a, 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 an all-pro, a one-time all-pro or a pro bowler. I'm not sure. Either of the two. Maybe Nick in the, in the comments can let me know. 2016 all-pro or pro bowl? Pro bowl. Okay. Um, so he's a pro bowler 2016. He's clearly capable. And, and listen, it took him a little bit of time to, to kind of settle into the system but now he's great. Now he's probably the third best player on the defense, if not second best after Bradbury. Him and Martinez are huge parts of this defense, and he does a lot for the defense. I, I, I think he's probably the most slept on out of the three to make the Pro Bowl, but I think that stats don't mean everything, and he really deserves to be there because he's a presence. And, and Dave Gettleman, that was a good trade. That was a good trade. Definitely. Uh, but, no, now I guess – Right now, I can't willfully will admit that uh, I was very much against it. 
But, you know, with stats there and his, you know, the eye test tells you that he's been playing well, he's been playing well. So the next guy, Blake Martinez, three years, $30 million contract. A lot of people wanted Joe Schobert. A lot of people wanted Corey Littleton. They're doing bad in their respective spots right now. Martinez, he's a bowler. I, uh, I think he's getting in. Probably more than Williams. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you that Williams is probably the sleeper of the three, even though I think that all three deserve it because it's, it's a great unit. Um, I, I'll also admit I was one of those guys. I did not think – I didn't even think Blake Martinez was in the conversation, first of all, back in – I remember exactly when he signed. Both of those guys signed in one day. I was actually on an airplane. But uh, just uh, to go back to that, um, I, I did want Corey Littleton – I'll admit that was a bad call. Blake Martinez is freaking awesome. He just, there were, there were questions. I remember coming into the season about his pass coverage abilities and zone and, and, and covering the ball. But first of all, he hasn't been that bad. Second of all, even if he was atrocious, I mean, he makes more than makes up for it in the run stopping game and, and the QB pressures. And he's picked up a couple sacks. I mean, tackles for loss. He's a great player. Blake Martinez is a great young player. I'm happy we got him for so cheap for three years. Yeah, definitely an upgrade. And I mean, listen, you have a potential pro bowler that you're paying 10 million bucks a year. Listen, it's not cheap, but it's not. That's a good deal. I'll take it. You, you, you combine him. Yeah, you combine him with a guy like uh, with a with like, again, I'm, I'm obviously gushing about Micah Parsons this is the third time I've mentioned him. But you combine Blake Martinez with a guy like Micah Parsons, who's another do it all guy who can blitz the quarterback. I mean, if you look at Micah Parsons stats this year, he has like five sacks, five tackles for loss, five passes, the defense, five forced fumbles. Like, I mean, from last year, sorry, he opted out. But yeah. if you look at his stats, he's another do-it-all guy like that. He just kind of just – he's everywhere. And uh, I think if you pair those two guys together, the Giants defense, man, Giants defense could could be so great. If they add, a, if they add another playmaking linebacker like Martinez plus, plus a uh, cornerback too. DeAndre Baker really did, did kill them. Unfortunately, and unfortunately, he well, I wouldn't say unfortunately he's not guilty, but like they mismanaged that situation. But there was no win-win situation there, especially dealing with the media. But Blake Martinez, um, stats-wise, he has 96 tackles so far through 10 games. Uh, let's see, he has five quarterback hits, and he, he's probably going to reach his career high in quarterback hits as well. Um, low miss tackle percentage, which is really good, and also he has two sacks and five pressures. So. Yeah. Not that bad from him. He was matching his uh, sack. Actually, QB pressure from last year, which is pretty good, and he didn't have like the best season last year. Yeah. But uh, a lot of people want to attack his uh, uh, his ability to cover. He's not really a cover guy. That's why you get Micah Parsons. That's why I wanted Isaiah Simmons, in my opinion. Uh, going back to um, my thoughts earlier when I started this podcast, uh, he's allowed 41 completions, apparently on 51 targets this year with 366 yards allowed and 80.4 completion percentage, no touchdowns. Uh, but honestly, I would have to look back at the film again. Maybe it's zone coverage, maybe it's man coverage. I don't know. But, you know, people really look at that. They And I haven't really heard anyone t- attack his pass coverage because he's been so good in the run game. It just makes up for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I said my piece on, on Martinez. I like the guy. He's a stud. I'm ready to talk about the man, the myth, the legend, though. I'm good now. Yes, yes. I thought you were going to say Bradbury. Only missed missed one kick this season against the Chicago Bears, a 57-yarder. But, again, he should have so got 
special teams player of the week against the Cowboys. Steve Rock from 50-plus three listen, times. I don't know how he didn't get it. Listen, all I'm going to say about Graham Gano is that the second he hit that game-winning 61-yarder or 63-yarder, I'm not sure, at MetLife yeah. Stadium to beat us, I was like, this guy's the real deal. Well, he said and then he had – yeah, no, but he had a couple of years ago, he had one as, as the time expired to win. Yeah. Uh, at MetLife. That, one in Carolina and one at MetLife. Yeah, so that one – those were both heartbreakers, but he's the real deal, man. I mean, I, I'm just so happy they extended him. I'm really happy they extended him because kicker, kicker matters, you know, kicker matters. And it looked like we had our guy with Aldrich for a little bit there. And then he kind of just spiraled the fuck out of control. So, I mean, I'm just happy. I'm just happy. We got our guy. We're extended. It's not a position like, come on, if you're, who the hell wants to worry about a kicker? You know, you got your guy, you signed him. I'm just happy they extended. If you if it wasn't for Gano and if it wasn't like let's just say we had like an average to below average kicker maybe like like a Canzaro Canzaro he was signed yeah the exactly. Giants cut him you would not you would be literally I don't know thirty second in the league in offense right now probably probably even probably. worse than that we wouldn't have won half of our games in probably Gano has Gano I'm I'm hesitant to say it because I don't want to jinx anything but Gano has he's been automatic. He's been automatic. Rain or shine, winder, winder calm, down, up, doesn't matter. Right hash, left hash, does not matter where. He has been automatic. Very much so. He Again, as I said, he's made every one of his extra points, and the only field goal he missed was a 57-yarder against the Bears. But, again, if you go to points totals, wouldn't have done much there. I mean, yeah. what was it? If he made, makes that kick, it's 13 to 17. So yeah, again, and yeah. you know, cornerback two blew us up that game, amongst other things. Blew us so. up. Cornerback two blew us up a ton of games against Chicago. Uh, let's see what else. Um, against uh, say, uh, a little bit against Philly. Yeah. I I, I there's there's not a player in the league I hate more than Isaac Yadam. There's not a player in the league I hate more. We don't have any alternatives. That's the fucking sad part. Like, yeah, I don't played well last week, but like, let's just say he didn't play. Madre Harper and I don't know who else is behind him. I, I don't even know. There's, I actually, sorry, there is one guy I hate more than Yadam. It's it's Ryan Lewis, who who, besides for Evan Ingram's drop, on third down, lost us the game against Philly with the uh, the penalty on he third and fifteen. Yep, yep. No, first it was first it was the the penalty. Not many people remember that. Everyone says the default of John Hightower, the default of John Hightower. Which it was third and fifteen. It was it was third and fifteen. The Giants oh, to close yeah. out the game. BJ Hill racks up a sack and, then, and you get a holding call was, on Isaac Yadam. I mean, uh, you get a holding call on Ryan Lewis. And then the very next, uh, either the very next player or two plays later, Hightower takes him deep to put him into scoring position. That was just I was like, fuck this guy. He got me livid. Uh, okay, let's let's talk about a good corner, James Bradbury. Yeah, <laughs> uh, let's talk uh, about a good corner. Take a big look at his. Uh, obviously, no sacks, but that doesn't matter. Thirty-two total tackles, no tackles for loss, and that doesn't really uh, go. Leads the league with fourteen pass deflections. Uh, he has three interceptions on the year. Has allowed a fifty-seven point four completion percentage, which is very good. Three hundred eighty-four yards. 
and a passer rating of 72. Again, all good stats. Another, yeah. I would say, uh, checkpoint, not checkpoint, uh, good Dave Gettleman. Again, people are not going to give him, but that's the reason this team stepped up this season. If he didn't make the signings of him, because you, you take a look at this too. Um, a lot of people it, listen to PFF. I don't, but someone made a comparison. Blake Martinez and James Bradbury have better grades than Corey Littleton, Joe Schobert, and uh, Byron, Byron Jones. Jones. So, you know, Gettleman must have done something right there. But a lot of people obviously want to jinx the fact that, oh, uh, this is Gettleman, and also to note that he's just trying to save his job like Jerry Reese did. So, but you're actually building for the future, not you're building through free. I actually, that's, that's where I disagree. Sorry, I'm going to have to interject. That's where I disagree. I think Dave Gettleman knows exactly what he's doing, and I don't think he's trying to save his job at all. I think he actually might even know that he's really banking on them to make the playoffs because if they don't make the playoffs, they'll probably get fired. And within two, three years, they'll be a good team on the foundation that he built. Yeah, that that's, and that's just my opinion. Look what he's look what he's brought. He's brought the great coaching staff. He's brought a good. He's built together a good defense of all young guys, all guys that he brought in. The offensive line of the future looks set. You got Lemieux. You got uh, Hernandez. You got Parrot. You got Thomas. Gates looks to be playing well. You got Barkley. You got Jones. And I mean, they're they're missing a couple more pieces before they can be a good team. A couple more pieces and a ton of experience in coaching, but. I think Dave Gettleman is a martyr, and I don't think he's trying to save his job at all. I think he's hoping that his job gets saved by them making the playoffs on a miraculous year where the NFC East is so terrible. But uh, I think he, he he knows that it's a it takes time. He has confidence in Joe Judge, though. Yeah, he definitely has confidence in Joe Judge. I, I don't know anyone in that. I haven't seen one analyst say since, since Judge has started coaching the games, obviously heading into the season, everyone would say, listen, he's got the good mentality, but we've never seen him coach a game. Since week three or four, since he's been coaching games, I don't I haven't seen anybody take a crap on Joe Judge at all in the media. He, he's good. Right. Uh, Still hear me? Like maybe two candidates. Uh yeah, he's still here. Yeah, it's breaking up a little bit. I'm like really delayed. Loaded two, three underrated candidates. Uh, they have alternatives this year, I don't think, because there is no Pro Bowl. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, I said yeah. All right. Yeah, he should have been. Yeah, it's very, it's very delayed this year. Uh, you don't very have delayed. alternatives delayed yeah like when i say something you start talking like i'm saying something right now you're gonna hear it in like 25 seconds why well, I, I heard you right now when you said it all right so i guess we're back i guess we're back <laughs> all right yeah big blue interrupted all right yeah all right uncut all right so our first underrated candidate is riley dixon uh let's see his longest punt, I believe, is 71 yards this year. That was the last game against Philly. Um, again, he's been very, very good this season, last season. Again, another, I would say, underrated move by Dave Gettleman, even though it's punter and everybody belittles it. Uh, again, very good move. Uh, let's see. Let's see if I can get his amount of uh, 
how many he's got inside the 20, but I don't think I get that, to be honest with you. Uh, All right, whatever. Let's just let's just let's just run let's just run through them. I think uh, we're losing some viewers anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. All right. So, and then the final one, Dalvin Tomlinson. Uh, let's see how many QB hits he has on the year. Seven. Going to match up to next uh, last season's total of nine QB hits. He has five tackles for a loss. Not to mention one and a half sacks. He had three and a half last year. Arguably, what are the what are the what are his run stop numbers? Because because that's really where he's that's the bread and butter for him. I don't have like the amount of run stops, but the amount of tackles for a loss he has, he's about five, which matches right. his 2018's uh, total. But again, right. eight pressures, one and a half sacks, thirty five total tackles, four quarterback knockdowns, and two hurries. So again, he's yeah. one of the most underrated parts. That I, I I totally agree. I mean, I'm gonna sorry to interrupt you again, but I'm gonna just say Dalvin is the type of guy who. You don't realize how good he is until he's gone, but he's just been, he's just a good player. He stops the run. He's a big presence up front. And I think he's his best season up till date was 2018. And I think he he's matching it. And if not better. And I think the reason for that success is that Patrick Graham is back. Patrick Graham, many people don't know. Patrick Graham was the, the uh, defensive line coach for uh, the giants up until his last season, but the giants was Dalvin's rookie season. Yeah. And that's what kind of uh, gave Dalvin that, that huge boost as a rookie. Because if Dalvin, if Dalvin plays bad 2017 and then his numbers 2018 and 19 are not that good, the Giants might have moved on, you know? Well, the 2019 numbers were actually his, um, his actually probably his best. 2017 was really good, too. Apologies. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, he had three and a half sacks. But 2018 was absolutely nothing. He didn't even have a quarterback head, I don't think. In 2018, obviously, you know, right. Fletcher, the so-called genius. Uh, but it's I hated really him. It's going to be really interesting for the Giants as a decision this offseason because you have to decide with a lot of players on contract, Leonard Williams or Dalvin Tomlinson, and we don't know how much Tomlinson is going to command. Will he command big money? Will he command a, maybe a discount? But Williams, he's definitely promising right now. A lot of people prefer him over Tomlinson. If I would, I would definitely keep both. But again, I don't think that's going to happen because I think they, I don't know how much they have uh, with the Nate Solder contract rolling over because of his opt out, which unfortunately. That that really killed us, by the way. That really killed us. Maybe they could, maybe they could buy him out or something. I don't know. There's no place for next year. There isn't any place for him next year. You're going to have your set offensive line. Yeah, we're going to rotate Nate Solder. Yeah, totally. I mean, nobody said that, but, you know, that would just be a stupid idea. You, You might as well just cut him. You can't trade him unless you a team will be willing to take on that contract, right? Pretty much. All right. That was a bad. That, that was a bad move by Jerry Reese. That was Gettleman. Was it Gettleman? Yeah. Positive. That was a bad move right there. Terrible move. I mean, he was trying to fix it uh, to get Eric Flowers at that spot, but again, that didn't right. really work. They didn't bring. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. Especially the season he had last year, giving up 11 sacks and forcing most of the fucking Daniel Jones fumble. I, I mix up that, I mix up that Nate Solder signing with that whole. There was that one day, like literally one of the most, besides obviously for the two Super Bowls, probably the most hyped day of my entire Giants fandom, was that day when the Giants had all that money and they just went out and. Janoris Jenkins, Olivier Vernon. Uh, I don't. I don't even remember. Yeah, Damon Harrison. That was just a great, great day. That was so fun. 
and they were promising, but yeah. And, and I always mix up uh, Solder. I always forget that he wasn't involved in that haul. Yeah, what, what a lot of people forget is that uh, even though he's like 37, 38 now, Andrew Whitworth, he could have signed with the Giants and actually had interest in signing with the Giants. But no, Jerry Reese didn't want to do that. He wanted Eric Flowers at left tackle. What a bum. And, and people don't realize. He still, the, Whitworth could have still been with the Giants. After, because Gettleman tried fixing Reese's problems. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty much going to wrap it up from there. Thank you guys for uh, thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. Even though if you're here, you're not here. I've uh, been live for an hour and sixteen now. Uh, big blue interruptions, definitely. I'm gonna have to edit this out. Uh, put it on YouTube. Put it on all the uh, podcast areas. Follow us on social media. Uh, yes, big blue in the Bronx on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, check our articles out. We post every week, probably more than one for both of us each. And obviously, your editorial is very creative. Um, bell check one coming next week yeah i was about to say guys uh, whoever is interested stay tuned i got an article coming out next week uh what if it's a what if the, it's a new column we're starting at all new york sports uh i highly recommend checking it out every week we're basically going to be doing what ifs what if something happened or what if something happens so uh we're going to kick it off next week with uh this coming tuesday i believe with what if bill belichick leaves the patriots for a front office job with the giants yeah, definitely. And hopefully uh, from from this day forward, On Your Sports Network actually, you know, does something, gets popular. Uh, trying to boost it here, obviously, with my podcast coming on. It's obviously uh, I never made the full commitment to it, so it's not a part of All New York Sports officially, but we'll see about that in the future. you got the four-line coming up at 730 with Brandon Gallego and Sergio Bucala. And the uh, Tri-State Trapezoid next week compared to also, I believe, the Henry show is coming up next week. I'm not ready for that, I must say. The Henry show. Yeah, uh, I'm not ready for that. Not ready for the memes, but thank you guys. And uh, I don't... thank you for coming back on. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.